You are listening to Underscore, a show by the Chicago Graphic Design Club. I am your host, Christian Solorzano. On today's episode, I have a rich conversation with Chicago-based educator and graphic designer, Sajad Amini. We discuss ethics and the role and responsibility of the graphic designer and the variety of ways in which language and semiotics come together to create realities that more often than not are unexpected. Sajad shares examples that showcase graphic design as both being a method of problem solving, but also problem making, and the importance of making decisions that are value driven and equitable. He shares with us his teaching philosophy and his methods for encouraging critical thinking amongst his students and the reasons why authenticity and experimentation are crucial within the graphic design process. It's a wonderful conversation full of thought-provoking ideas that I hope you find inspiring as I did. As always, I'm happy to be sharing this episode with you. And to learn more about us, visit us at www.chicagographicdesign.com. Good afternoon, Sajad. Nice to be speaking with you today. Good afternoon, Christian. I'm happy to be with you in this interview. So you and I, we both started teaching at DePaul University here in Chicago around the same time. However, you have experience being an educator for quite some time before coming to Chicago. Um, and we've and we've interviewed uh, a good a good amount of educators in the past. So um, so it's always nice to speak with someone that is a uh, that's that's in the teaching teaching field. Um, the first question that I have for you, and it's based off me spending some time looking through some of your work, looking at some of your case studies, looking at some of your projects. I came away with the feeling that you're more interested in coming up with questions as opposed to answers. And I sort of saw that as as just playing a playing a large role through through some of the projects that I, that I got a chance to see on on your website. So so I want to ask you what for you what is the role of graphic design? What is what does graphic design mean to you? That's actually a great question. Um, the short answer is <laughs> I really don't know. But at the same time, from from my my perspective, when I'm thinking about the design, you know, it's some people believe that graphic design or design in general is a problem solving, that they don't have that feeling at all. And some people have, like uh, Rinelli mentioned, a great, great graphic designer mentioned that a design is uh, is a fight fight against ugliness. You know, these are, these are some great idea about design, but I don't have that kind of same perspective about design because in some cases, this design seems to be a, problem solving, but at the same time, it's a kind of problematic or problem making at the same time. Um, you're taking, consider the case of the defensive design, for instance, it seems that all the kind of the benches has an armrest for every everybody who wants to sit on the bench. But at the same time, this arm set is preventing people to sleep on this on these benches. And, and this kind of idea of the defensive design goes in many different kind of criteria, but the, but the things that I'm trying to kind of say is um, considering that is there is a sole solution to something and the design is something that can produce that uh, kind of um, outcome. I don't think it's a kind of accurate kind of um, definition of the design. At the, 
design can produce some solution, but at the same time, it it will produce some other outcome that is may not be a kind of desire outcome for that uh, problem. For me, graphic design um, is a powerful tool, and it's played a huge and um, kind of very powerful role in throughout the history, from the politics, from the social um, kind of environment, and also. Um, designing a product and corporate kind of identity. So we can go through the, each of these um, deeper, but I'm really interested in the power of the design itself and how this tool can make a huge change in the society that we are living in. Yeah, and for you, what what do you consider to be some of the most powerful forms of graphic design today? So, so, so you mentioned about kind of at the beginning of the conversation, you mentioned that your work is kind of more asking a question. Now I'm asking myself question many times. So when I was looking at this kind of plaque of Apollo 11 mission to moon, and I don't know if you've seen this plaque that there is a kind of, that there's a word says that here human um, step on the moon with peace, you know, it's 1969, it's a cold war on earth. Mm -hmm. But the typeface that they used on that plaque is future. You know, it's very, very absurd. It's very interesting. It's a beautiful typeface, but at the same time, it's very absurd that what kind of typeface we use to introduce peace um, to extraterrestrial entities outside that we don't know anything about them. And we present ourselves as a peaceful creatures that we are, at the same time, we are, we are experiencing war, cold war and um, on earth at the same time. Um, so these are the question, or you are going back and you're, going back to um, 2000 election that was between Al Gore and Bush. And I don't know, have you heard about the, the story of the, the graphic designer who made a mistake and designed a kind of a, a butterfly ballots that mm -hmm. people mistakenly kind of put the ballot, they vote for Al Gore for someone else and Al Gore lost that election. And then after that in 2003, you have a rock war. Mm -hmm. and we can think about it. And so if that incident didn't happen, did we still have a rock war? So these are the questions that you can ask. And there are many, many examples of such a thing that the power of design changed the trajectory of the world forever. And I have a bunch of this kind of example, but that's a part that is very, very interesting for me. And at the same time, I'm thinking about what are the component of design, that one of those is a typography that is very, very interesting and fascinating to me as a, somebody who can kind of speak almost four languages that I can compare the kind of the differences between the word and sign that amazes me and help me to kind of produce some work that kind of question the nature of the design and the word that we need. So, look, so it seems like you really just love to deconstruct what design is and sort of look at it from different angles, which, which I, I think is really, really necessary. And sometimes I think it's much more interesting than, you know, graphic design that's used for consumerism or things for profits. Um, but I mean, with, with both domains, whether it's, you know, a plaque on the moon or packaging for a cereal, I think that they both inherently have some sort of power to manipulate and to deceive. And I think there's always those si those two sides of the coin. And there's always that power dynamic that, that I just see throughout your work a lot. Yeah. And I think the, the most um, problematic part of 
design and graphic design specifically is the language and typography. I think mm -hmm. that's the most important because um, the reason that I'm saying saying language, it's not just about the language, it's all about the sign and semiotic. That's a kind of the major kind of component of my whole projects that I have done so far. Um, David Rainford wrote a recent book, uh, a new program for graphic design. And he categorized this program to three things, typography, gestalt, and interface. And I think it's a very interesting uh, book, but the component that I'm missing in that book is the semiotic. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the part that is kind of talking about how we, how we understand sign and the majority of this sign associated with the language. I, I can give you a very simple kind of example. I'm, I'm right now I'm working on a project is called The Language is Not Innocent. And, and the idea came to my mind when I moved from Iran to US in 2017. It was a kind of President Trump era travel ban against my country. So there was zero communication, there was a huge amount of sanctions. And I started kind of filing my first year taxes and I was looking for the forms. And I found out that the form that associated with people like me that uh, comes to US as an international student is non-resident aliens. This is the title of the people that comes to this country as, as a foreigner. And it was, I was kind of very, very kind of interested in what is the meaning of this word, alien, non-resident. And I was thinking about how this language, how this word is kind of defining me. And the, the, the typeface was Helvetica of Arial, the knockoff that Helvetica. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about the whole thing. And then I got involved more and more in the language and comparison between English language and Farsi or Turkish, my other languages. And, and it's very interesting that you have, for instance, in this project, I'm thinking about some alphabets. So you have A, B, C, D, N. And as soon as you add the asterisks to one of these component of alphabet, the meaning completely changed. Mm -hmm. The A became an A word. The B became a B word. The C and all the way, you can, I guess, the rest of that. And how we change the meaning of the simple sign with just adding a one component to the, the, the basic of the language, the alphabet. And these things happen all around the world. It's not uh, kind of just limited to the English language and uh, Latin kind of alphabet, but it's it's something that is very, very interesting. And then you, you can start kind of questioning the nature of this language. I, um, I was kind of working in a graduate school and we had this class called um, Studio Practice in University of Oregon. So in the description of the course, it says that you need to work for, for the A grade, you need to work at least like three hours, four hours in the in the studio as an artist. And I was thinking about how they can measure my working, me working on an art project in this studio. So if you go to my website, the background of the art project is a door of my studio. And there's a two sign. It says, we are making art, we are not making art. So I make this kind of light box that I can kind of change the lighting behind these two phrases. So I turned the right light on when I was thinking about the making an art project that helped my faculty, my mentors to, to figure it out that this is student actually working on an art project. And it just kind of showed the absurdity of the language of the description of that course. 
Um, so I really interested in kind of playing with this tiny micro association with the meaning of their language and deconstructing, as you mentioned, and also it's a kind of the the kind of the specific word associated with the post-structuralist thoughts about the language. And it's really, really fascinates me how the language itself actually works and how powerful it could be. Tell us a little bit about, so you grew up in Iran and, and, uh, and I'm curious about hearing some hearing you speak about some of the some of the visual media that perhaps you were consuming and maybe what were some of the earliest forms of graphic design that sort of you know stayed with you and and that perhaps to this day still hold some influence over the work that you do um so so going back to Iran I I studied cinematography and photography in my bachelor and at the same time, I was working as a graphic designer. And the things that at that at that moment was very, very, very important for us because we are we were living and we are still living in the sanction. So um, no Adobe, no camera, no nothing. So still, you cannot have access to that unless you have some um, huge amount of money you want to spend, and all of those is kind of not legally rich to Iran. So, um, so for in that moment the most important part of graphic design and design in general for us was the technology that we didn't have access to so um and it was very very important but at the same time i was working in um as a kind of freelancer and some agency as a graphic designer um but as as soon as a kind of a, a kind of work and i worked with many companies in that time and unfortunately, many of them, after kind of many sanctions, they went bankrupt. So, um, and I lost a huge amount of my resume in that I've worked with many companies in Iran. But then when I moved to US and um, I had this opportunity to kind of compare these two situations in 2017 and live in diaspora and how things is different from the um, point of view of the person who lives in Iran and the person who lives, Iranian person who lived in US, um, that kind of started a kind of questioning my being, my identity, my subjectivity, and how I feel about everything. How um, these kind of things are kind of, even, even your nationality, your ethnicity, if you wanted to fill out a form, I remember I went to the social um, security office in Portland and I was trying to kind of fill out the form and I asked the officer, I couldn't find the, the things that associate with my the people from my region. And he said that, where are you from? I said, I'm from Iran. And he said, oh, you are white, but <laughs> but he was joking. He said, you, you don't have privilege. It was kind of a funny joke. And, but, you know, the things that happened is that was the first time that I noticed, oh, in the census, I, I'm considered as I'm considered as a white person, but that's that's associated with the history of the Jesus and the things that happened in the Middle East. Oh, okay, so people from Middle East considered as a white, and you you start kind of considering, oh, okay, so how this language defines you in this country, how people defining you in this country, and then you are thinking about. Um, this association of the language and identity. So I started kind of questioning all of that. And it's not just about the just the location. It's about the whole life experience for me. So for instance, I was kind of 
I remember I was watching a series. I don't know what series I was watching, but there's a, this phrase at the beginning of the series. It says, this is a true story. And I was opposing that phrase for a couple of hours. And I'm just reading that phrase. This is a true story. And when you're thinking about the word true and a story, the true is something factual, is objective. And the story is a subjective thing. When we put these together and fuse them, um, the synthesis is, is something based on fact, but it's all a story. And questioning this thing. And then I started thinking about that and making some work about it. And I'm thinking about a neon, a, a, a continuous light that comes from the language. And I made that sign that I had some exhibition about that on, in Portland, Oregon. Um, but that's kind of how I associate my personal experience of life coming to U.S. and the work that I'm producing until now and how the language kind of play a kind of very, very important role in my life. So on your website, um, you speak a little bit about some of the you, you you've been an educator for some time and 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 most recently um, you were a professor at Georgia State University and now here in Chicago at DePaul University. And I I want to ask you a little, because I in, in my opinion, I think the educator plays a huge role in sort of like dictating the, like the industry and sort of the future of new generations of graphic designers. And I think, you know, I'm sure when both you and I were learning graphic design, many, many years ago, like it was just like a very different world. Perhaps, like the problems were probably still there, but I think technology and media sort of shifts the way that people perceive reality. Um, so for you, what what sort of like, what role do you see um, graphic design education playing? And how do you balance that that line of having a critical mindsets and being you know, being someone that questions authority and questions power structures, but at the same time, the other side, which is more about like your career and like the the more, the more like capitalistic approach to design that's, you know, about having a job, having money, having clients, all like, what, what is, what are those two worlds? How do they exist for you? There's a huge gap. There's a huge gap between kind of making your ends meet and also being a person that you are proud of. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a huge gap. And, but I think the, as you mentioned, the role is very important. The culture, the things that I would say is the culture from different region is completely different. So West Coast is mostly kinds of conceptualization of design and art is, is very, very associated with the kind of the concept and idea behind the work. When you go to the South, is more about the values um, and the beliefs. And here in Chicago is more about the corporate and um, the kind of the business and uh, our old friend um, capitalism. So this is a kind of different dynamics that I witnessed throughout the Senate three regions that I worked as, I studied and also I work as educator. Um, I think the role is very important. There are two sides of teaching design um, that I think it's very important. One of those is teaching um, uh, the student being a creative, uh, critical thinker. And the other part is um, teaching a student be, uh, that the student needs to be a creative 
um, producer or creative a creative mind uh, mind. I think there there is huge differences between these two. That um, being critical is talking about or kind of evaluating or kind of um, deconstructing that something exists there. But being creative is about something that hasn't been produced. It's not exist. It's just an idea. The second part is the hardest part because you are talking about something that is not tangible for the student. And I think that's that's an important role of an educator that how we can kind of build a kind of infrastructure for this student that they can produce that something doesn't exist. And, and as you mentioned, from the time that we learned graphic design till now, many things change. And specifically this year, um, last year, we have this kind of idea of AI that came into the picture and everybody got like freaked out that mid-January gonna, gonna be the new graphic designer and we don't need any agency and all of those things. I don't really, really worry about the AI. I, don't, I have my own point of view about AI, but, um, but one of the things that is very important here is Zizek, um, the philosopher is talking about the capitalism and he's saying that capitalism doesn't sell you the product it's selling you um, the desire. It's selling you that what you need to um, kind of desire in your life instead of that the product itself. Um, and I think one of the things that is very important is for us as an instructor to teach to our student is a conscious design, a design that is conscious. It um, has this kind of idea that what's going on around the world and what is my position as a designer that what I'm gonna do uh, with the powerful that I have in my hand. Um, so I think that part is very, very um, important. And, and you can see in many kind of companies right now, we have this kind of um, the, the brand profile. We didn't have that back in the day. It was just the identity and the identity was the color, what the font, what, but right now we have the profile. The brand is talking. The brand has a social media. The brand has an opinion, political opinion. And these are the things that is a new thing that we are facing with. And as a designer, we need to think about that how this brand is going to evolve throughout the time, how this, this brand can communicate with the clients and the, the target audience. So these, these are the part I think very, very interesting in the new graphic design world. But at the same time, AI and the tools, it's um, on the other story that we can kind of talk about the AI if you like, but I think that's not a huge problematic issue right now. So, so going back to what you were talking about, which was power of language, I think it's interesting because and from from what I see, I think as designers, we need to be a little bit more honest about the decisions that we're making and like the results that are are happening as a result of those decisions. Because to your point, I think sometimes what we're doing is is yes, we're creating we're creating desires for people to want something, and those desires often aren't very. I mean, they're 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 not taking into consideration the best interest of of the person, and I often see in in graphic design that we we tend to celebrate things in a very binary way as like this is good or this is bad but we don't really dive deep into we don't really have a criteria or like an assessment of why things are good or why they're bad and i think it would be it would it would be really interesting if if we could be more honest and if we could say 
you know, this, this project is winning an award because it was, it did, it did the best job at like manipulating or, or raising, you know, obesity. Yeah. I, I just find it so, so strange that, um, I think just as an industry or values, I think need, need a lot of work. Yeah. And, and, you know, sometimes when you're thinking about the history of graphic design, that is, I think it's very, very important for the student to know, um, few days ago was the anniversary of um the the Iranian 1953 coup um that MI6 and CIA both together overturned a democratic um elected kind of prime minister um Dr. Mossadegh and after that we didn't have any democratic systems um and we are fighting for it right now um but the one of the kind of the the most important player in that coup was a, a company that's right now called BP, British Petroleum, that has a beautiful greenish kind of flower shaped logo right now. They changed the logo many times. The, the actual name of the company back in the day was Anglo-Iranian Oil Company. And they participated in a coup. And after that, they changed the name. And then they have a lake like oil leak in, in the ocean, they ended up changing. And the new logo is from 2000, I believe. And they kind of trying to change this logo and creating a new image for the company. And you have the same history about a story about the Facebook, um, that they changed the meta and many other kind of companies that they rebranded themselves to, to kind of raise the history. Mm. And yeah. that's how design actually act as a kind of some some kind of cover-up yeah. for this company. And I was many, many, many times I was thinking by myself that if they offered me a huge amount of money to rebrand this company, what should I do? You know, one of on one side you're thinking about, oh, I need to make money. I'm 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 a human being in the in this world and I need money for for bills and housing and whatever. But at the same time you're thinking about the ethical aspect of you as a graphic designer and I think that part became more and more important when you're thinking about the power tool that you have in your hand as a designer and I think the, the one of the things that the educator in this world needs to teach to their student that how this powerful how this tool as this tool like graphic design tool is could be soup so much powerful that you can change the world with that, I can give you one example of the same design that changed the whole thing. Um, in 1979, after the revolution, um, the, the the Islamic government, the, the provisional government, they didn't have the kind of a public um, international kind of appearance in the whole world. So they decided to have a referendum for the people to make a decision if they wanted to have this system or they're going to change it. They create this ballot and a graphic designer behind this ballot. They designed two ballots. One of those was green, yes. And the other one was red, no. And with the very, very tiny, very, very fine, I think it's kind of point, uh, in like the point size was six or five. They wrote, and with a very, very difficult um, kind of um, scripts, that is Nastalia. They wrote that the constitution of the new system will be announced later. So, and then they had this referendum and 96%, according to them, 96% of the people who were eligible participated in this referendum and 98% says, yes, wow. we need the system. And that's the kind of role of one designer. 
behind yeah. the scene, they changed the whole thing. And after that, it's a 40, 40 uh, some years that we are fighting to go back to that. No, but we cannot go back. Yeah. And um, so this is the job of designer, how this kind of ethical part of design is important for you to make sure that everybody knows what's going on. And that's your job. You can just, just, you know, just push this kind of, keep this corner of this text box and make it bigger and bigger for the people to see, change the typeface. It's very important to be inclusive. Sometimes it seems that it's not a big deal. It's just a company, it's just a brand, but sometimes it's very, very important. Yeah, I, that's, I mean, that th- those are those are the kind of things that keep me up at night all the time. <laughs> and, and it's so difficult because I think um, the graphic designer, from from my experience, like sometimes we don't have, there's the stakeholders and there's like, you know, all these people that sometimes you need to get buy-in from. So I think, yeah, it's just, I don't know. Like I, I haven't figured out an answer of like, how can we be better at convincing and how can we be better at like showing that, that speculation of, you know, this is potentially what might happen if we do X, Y, Z. And I think, you know. You know, that part Christian is also, at the same time, I would say that ethical part is very important. But at the same time, you're really thinking about the design and you're thinking about the finish of some product. When, I, when I'm looking at this Apple computer and I'm thinking about the finish of the aluminum on the surface and thinking about the new material for the computer, that's an amazing kind of um, gesture of designer that they decided to go with this new design. I really like that part. And that makes my life much more interesting at the same time. I'm not thinking about the class, the price, um, the origin of the company and all of those things, but just just a kind of point of view of designer. When I'm thinking about this beautiful thing, that makes me happy. <laughs> you yeah. know, uh, so I'm not I'm not trying to overlook the job of designer to make the world much beautiful. As yeah. still, when you're looking at the Helvetica, you have this kind of the the feeling of cleanness. You yeah. know, um, so um, so that's the kind of amazing job that has been done by a designer or the architecture in here in Chicago. It's amazing. I, I, I usually go for my coffee to uh, Van der Rohe building, uh, mm. uh, federal building. These are three giant kind of a sculpture um, that's uh, very amazing to look at. But at the same time, you have that other part that you need to be uh, aware about. Yeah. So, so on that topic, what sort of today, like what sort of, contemporary um design are you finding really really exciting what what are what are your examples of really great design um i think the most uh, recent contemporary design that i kind of see right now it's more about the designer and their feeling than the more about the kind of the the logic and the, the kind of the principles and the rules and I really like that. So in the history of graphic design, in a kind of in, in few decades, we have this kind of international style and we have grunge style and we have this pop star style. But right now we are kind of seeing a combination of all of that. You see the international style, the Swiss style comes and sit with the grunge style. Yeah. And when I talk, I, I when I talk to my student about why you did that is 
they 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 are not shy about kind of revealing that this is my feeling about this and that and i really like that kind of how instead of the kind of the society pushing this idea that this is the typeface of the year this is the color of the year this is the style of the year i see right now the student more and more they kind of reveal their feeling um and i can kind of see some i, I actually seeing some 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 things that i couldn't think about it before like these two typeface they cannot go together so you see that that typeface that is super organic it has a huge contrast it's super contemporary that they can sit that next to the future and it works really really well or the kind of grunge style and this texture right now comes right now it's kind of after the kind of this grunge style that we had like 30 years ago it's comes to the picture right now in the graphic design i really like this kind of expression of the feeling um in, in graphic design that right now i can see in this student work i agree i think that autobiographical like work um to me is always really really exciting because it's not it's not something you know you could do on behalf of anyone else like it's something that only you could do because it's like you know your unique perspective and um and I I know that you, for example, like on your website, not only do you have like your design projects, you also have your art projects. And 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 there seems to be this dance for you that that goes between um projects that perhaps are self-initiated, that perhaps are a little bit more autobiographical, as mm -hmm. opposed to other projects that maybe have some uh quantifiable, like, you know, metric. So could you speak a little bit about maybe for you, like what's the importance of of that, of having that um outlets for experimentation and for play? And how does that inform perhaps the work that is more collaborative or, you know, teaching or working with clients and so forth? I think the good design, good designer are people that are great storyteller. Mm -hmm. And I always find a good design that has a great story behind it. The experimental part for me is the part that I can tell a story throughout design and artwork. And I think always in the history of design, those experimentation after a few years comes back and became a style in design. Um, so I think that part is very, very important. And I'm one of the courses that I'm teaching right now, graphic design concept, is based on the storytelling, that how you can tell a story. And one part of that project is um, with the measurement of the daily tasks that you are doing in your life, like how many times you get coffee, how many times you walk, uh, you talk over your phone, how you can explain yourself and tell a story about yourself in a form of poster and design it that it's kind of that poster shows you and it's became you. And it's really important because that's that's a kind of main source that the artist and designer can make original work because otherwise it's you just need to follow the rules there is a rule rule of third this typeface that kind of rules of um um editorial design and so on and you just need to follow that rules and produce work but when you have that kind of personal narrative and you inject that to the work either experimental work or work that you are doing for your client you make that work your own and no one can copy that 
because they cannot feel what you have been through. So this is, the, I think this is a very, very important part. And sometimes I was in this, uh, this meeting with, uh, with the parents, they asked me, it was last year. And one of the parents asked me that, uh, what about AI? What are you going to do with the AI? And, you know, when I'm looking at this technology and how it's kind of trying to kind of play a role in terms of design or other criteria that AI is very good at, like creative coding and that things. Um, I'm thinking about the history of, for instance, uh, photography. When, when the photo, um, the camera came around, um, was 19th century, it was 8022 that we have the first of a photograph. People freaked out that they said, oh, this is the end of painting. We are trying to kind of produce a realistic painting and this camera can capture the reality in eight hours, according to Nisper Nips, the first photographer and his first photograph. But after that incident, the trajectory of the painting completely changed. And in 1917, we have Marcel Duchamp who brought a urinal inside the gallery and put it on a pedestal and said, this is my artwork. And he um, signed that piece. And that's a moment that we call, we, we went through art with lowercase a to the art with capital A and changed the trajectory. And then we have art to artists like uh, Rothko that who painted the feeling of his kind of journey um, of immigration from Russia to United States as a painting. And the painting is not realistic, but it's not about kind of capturing the reality. It's about the expression, it's about the feeling. And I really like that kind of part of this kind of reflecting in the student work that they can kind of narrate their story throughout the color, throughout the typeface, throughout the uh, composition and also the medium itself. And it, um, and it's, I think it's a, it's a very interesting kind of having that experimental part and this kind of part that you need to kind of face with reality. It's a kind of, it's a kind of resource for you that you can always go back to that experimental work and use some of the elements and bring it to the, to the client work and make it your own kind of signature or your style. Yeah. Um, and for you, what you mentioned a little bit about AI, and I think AI, some of the conversations that I've been having is very similar to photography. I think artificial intelligence is sort of gonna gonna reframe our appreciation for things that are more autobiographical or things that are more like craft oriented, because sure, AI can make beautiful things and and do things really, really quickly. But I think what it what it misses is that human spirits of imperfection or of I made this in this moment. So so are there like for you, how do you see AI changing our, our profession? I think there are some parts that we really need something like AI to mm -hmm. make the changes. Like there are some kind of dealing with just just kind of um uh, understanding data. We have a huge amount of data. You just wanted to kind of evaluate those data or make sense of that. AI can play a huge role or coding. You can use natural language and kind of talk to AI to kind of build a code or kind of write a code for you. Um, that's the kind of amazing part of AI. And I think um, it's very also important um, and efficient at the same time. In terms of design, I think 
unless we have a conscious mind, the mind behind the AI can feel pain. Mm -hmm. We don't need to worry about AI right now because, because the original work comes from the people who felt life mm -hmm. and we can express that thing, that kind of life experience throughout their work. And I'm pretty sure right now AI doesn't have that ability. But at the same time, this kind of this amazement with the technology, I think that's something that um, I need to tell my student over and over that this is not a very important thing. The technology and the tools is a maybe 30% of your job. Mm -hmm. You're going to change. And if you look at the great graphic designer and artist right now, they're not really dealing with the detail of the execution. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they have some people to help them with the execution. Yeah. Just they just have that kind of the, the big mind behind the project. They are kind of thinking about how this project needs to um, kind of go through this path and what, what we need in this project or maybe what we don't need. Um, but I remember when before Photoshop and Illustrator, the creating kind of gradient color was a huge deal because you need to use the airbrush and all of those things. When this software came around, um, people were very obsessed with gradients. So if you look at the beginning of the Photoshop um, and then Corel Draw and also Illustrator, majority of the work has this gradient because that was the hardest part that you wanted to do in the actual work with the um, airbrush and those tools. But after that, it, it went away because, because we, we understood that this is not a big deal. It's not an important thing. And I think right now AI in the same position that we are very obsessed that, oh, I can kind of, think and just ask mid-journey to, mid to design this thing for me. That's fine. But in order to think and kind of go through that process, you need to have an ideation process that you need to spend time on it. Yeah. And that's the kind of the most important point. For me, myself, always, I spend like 70% of my time just thinking and sometimes some doodling about the project. And thirty percent in um, behind the software or computer or whatever medium that I'm working on, I don't think that part is the most important point. Although right now you, you see the new trend in design, I think uh, one of the new trend in graphic design is the uh, is the kinetic typography and the three D typography and three D world is becoming more and more important because of the um, they can kind of produce unreal kind of um scenery of the design that i really like at, at the same time but i think that's the one of the things that is we are going right now but at the same time this part that is kind of thinking about the the idea behind the work is much more important than the tools yeah i always compare it to like i have this this comparison or this analogy that i use of like you could use AI because I've seen some people that will use AI to like write a resume or like a cover letter or like a description of like who they are. But I'm always like, you know, what if what if you're in an elevator with someone and you have to introduce yourself or you have to talk and there's no technology there to aid you in that in that conversation? Like, what would you say? And I think the same about AI. I think like, sure, the work could look great, but if you're asked to talk about it, if you're asked to share the concept behind it and you're unable to, then I sort of feel like it sort of defeats the purpose. Like it's almost like what you're looking at no longer matters. Like it's invalid. So I think the language and like the words that we choose to use 
um, just really, really make a difference. And I think there's going to be, I think writers and people that are storytellers, like that's going to be a superpower because I think, you know, no one else could do it for you. Yeah, I don't know if you can put this in your podcast, but um, Zizek has a really interesting explanation of his prime time with his partner. And he's explaining that what if, and hypothetically, I bring uh, the, the his partner her his partner bring brings his her uh, kind of um he's he called call this kind of thing um stamina unit that is kind of is a plastic vagina and the this person brings this his plastic um kind of dildo thing and they put these two things together to have a um sexual intercourse and they sit on the other side of the room and they have intellectual conversation because they don't need to get involved in that kind of act and he's talking about that when i was thinking about the ai and you mentioned the resume and i was thinking about okay somebody is actually producing their resume by ai and then they say send that to the company and that company is actually evaluating that resume by the ai mm-hmm. you know this is similar to that analogy that these are these are the things that happen. But the problem is that kind of high quality conversation never happened because in the Zizek example, they have this kind of kind of um kind of act of conversation. They can talk about something very important. But when you have this kind of interaction of the AI with the AI, you don't have that opportunity to produce much more important things like that conversation. So I think it's this is the part that is very, very problematic for us, that people are actually producing with the AI and the people that consuming that pr- production with the AI. And that's kind of became a huge gap and alienation with the people that it's a very similar things that happen in the social media in terms of communication that we thought that, oh, that's kind of brings people closer to each other. That wasn't the case in most of the kind of social media platform. Um, so I think it's a kind of similar analogy. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. And that, and I think that's why conversations like this, and I see, you know, there, there's there's definitely no shortage of podcasts and, and shows. And I think people realize the value of, of, of these type of interactions, because to your point, I don't think this could be, this could be created in any other way. I mean, I'm sure it could be simulated somehow, but it, it wouldn't be the same. Yeah, I tried ChatGBT a lot, and I have it on my phone. I yeah. have it in the kind of uh, bookmark my my browser. And sometimes I try kind of to have this conversation. I have I give I I sometimes I give the, the ChatGPT three words to start writing about that, and it can produce a huge amount of language, like mm-hmm. three or four paragraphs about that. But when you're kind of trying to decipher what it's saying, we see that majority of that is nonsense, is a kind of ornaments around the main idea. And if you just kind of try to concise the whole thing, you go back to that three words that you gave yeah. to the chat GBT. So I think it's a, it's in, in a kind of early stages right now, the AI, but at the same time, Christian, I was thinking about right now in this week, I'm thinking about how I can integrate AI to my course because yeah. instead of preventing the student to not using this technology, 
I'm thinking about, okay, how I can encourage my student to use the AI to empower their ability? Mm -hmm. uh, because it's out there. Um, yeah. They're going to use that in future, I'm pretty sure. Um, um, and at the same time, I know that they don't know the value of their own original work, but um, I'm trying to think about, okay, I need to integrate that AI um, kind of platform with the project of the class to see how the student kind of interact with that um, technology. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about some of the classes that you're teaching and sort of maybe walk us through some of the projects and 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 for the classes that you've already taught, how do how do you notice that students respond to to your projects? Because I'm always surprised by the fact that some of my students, um, one, obviously they're they're really young, but a lot of them, like they they grew up with a computer with a smartphone. And I think that mm. their their approach to just the way that they look at life is I, I perhaps is significantly much different than, you know, perhaps some of us that grew up before mm -hmm. the, the internet. Um, so it's a great question. I think the hardest part of my job or being an instructor in general is evaluation. I don't want to be get involved in that part, but unfortunately that's something that I need to do. So in that manner, I I develop a rubric for a couple of reasons. One of those is a kind of fair grading with student work. And at the same time, I wanted to see them to get a grade, a portion of the grade for the for the things that they are doing. It doesn't matter if the project is not complete. So if you if you have done this part of the project, you get a portion of the grade for that. Although in the real world, um, not representing your work or not meeting the deadline, it means zero. It means nothing. But in the class, they are in the earliest stage of their career as a designer. So I wanted to have them have a positive kind of um, idea about the design. So the things that I'm doing is I have this rubric that is started with the ideation and the proposal. So in all of the projects that I have in my classes, the student needs a week before the, the final week for that project. They need to propose what they are doing. And the proposal is a document and they present the proposal. So the proposal has a different kind of section that I produce uh, what kind of section that they need to have in their proposal. The proposal is mostly a PDF file that they send. And it is started from their idea, a written language, uh, some um, kind of reference work that they do research and find some other artists work. They put that in their proposal, some sketches and some final idea. So they produce this proposal. It depends on the project that what, what is a requirement of that project. And they present and we have a one-on-one -on -one chat about that proposal. So we're going to do this. Um, so what kind of things that you are doing, what kind of material that you are using. Uh, if I have some suggestion, um, in terms of artists that they need to look up or in terms of the 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 kind of the typefaces, the the style or whatever, I'll 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 give them that kind of suggestion. And then um we have the final week in, in the final week of that project. So in the due date of the project, we we have a critique session. So we put all the works on a wall and the students start to kind of cold read the work. We just stand in front of the work and we start kind of reading that work. And after that, the student who designed that project has this chance to kind of kind of talk about the project and 
um, see how or evaluation is kind of meets with the uh, with the actual designer of that uh, piece. And I took some notes of the student thoughts about that project. Um, so during those kind of rubric that I mentioned at the beginning, I have this concept, I have the execution part, I have a presentation part, I have a critique part. So these are how like 20%, 25% of the grade. But at the same time, the things that I learned from my, one of my instructor in University of Oregon, um, um, Professor Ty Warren, that he gave us this opportunity to redo our project all the way at the end of the quarter. So I have this policy for my all classes. It's a it's a it's a huge burden on my shoulder that I need to regrade this student project over and over. But at the same time, I'm telling my student that the grade for the project is it's not the most important part of the project. The the endeavor and the kind of the the, the work that you have done in your project is the most important component. So when they uh, finish the project, I'm grading their project, and when they if they are not satisfied with the grade, they have this opportunity to redo the project, resubmit it, and I will regrade um, that project at this uh, again and again. Yeah. So this, this is the process of grading. But in terms of the project itself, um, I'm thinking about two things when I'm designing a project. One of those is how this project will give this, this student some insight and teach some principles of design. So this is what, what the most important part of that project. And the other side is how this project can reflect in the student portfolio, that the, the student can use this project as, a, as one part of their portfolio in order to get a job after graduation. So these two components um, kind of play at the same time. And I, I recently put a, a kind of um, some of the project that I have in my class on my website and I published that. So. Um, each project, what is the uh, what is the kind of idea behind the project, and there's a kind of um, artwork behind it next to that, that project that kind of explain what's going on in the project as well. Yeah, I, I I really for everyone that's listening, like I definitely encourage to, and we'll put the link to your website on on the notes for this episode. But um, I I really like the way that you frame and the way that you communicate, um, a lot of what you do. So so we're almost at time, but uh, a question that I always like to ask our guests towards the end is um for for the maybe for for designers that are in some sort of like position of of power whether it's their educators or running a studio, running a practice, what, what sort of what's your call to action? What do you think our industry needs more of right now? What's what's missing and and what do we need to do? I think for me myself, it's the most important component of design is recognition and acknowledgement of the power of this tool and how it can play a, 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 a prominent role in a people's life. And I think if you have this kind of position that you can make change it's very important to use it in a positive way and I sometimes I have this conversation with my student and we have time I talk about my home country or people living in other countries or sometimes I ask a student that have other kind of experience to explain uh, how the things are going for them and how we as a designer can help to kind of to kind of 
kind of elevate the situation in a positive way. That this the project that I mentioned about the CTA, it wasn't a project that um I I don't have a client for that project. It was me riding a red line every day uh, from North Chicago to Loop and facing with different kind of um incident in the train on the train and I was thinking about okay how we can elevate the situation it's not about the train it's not about the structure it's not about and it's it's about the people how we can communicate with each other that okay your music is really really kind of irritating other writers you the smell of the smoking of kind of drinking in this or of staring um, and we have this conversation with the student and they kind of, they have the same feeling, but they didn't think about it. Okay, I have this powerful torch in my hand. I can use that. Mm-hmm. I can design something and put it out there. Maybe I can communicate with CTA um, authority and talk about that, but that's your job. And I think that kind of experimental kind of aspect of your work at the same time with your life experience can make a kind of this too much more powerful this is my life experience i i need to do this because i wanted to make my society a better um a better kind of um society for the people that are living in so um that's a kind of that's a kind of things that you can do for your community and i'm trying to do that um, my best for my student i don't know how much successful i was so far but i'm trying to do my best in order to 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 give this kind of impression to my student that your voice really really matters, and you yeah. just to use that voice in in a, in a accurate kind of in a proper way. Yeah, I love that because because there there's a big component of empowerment in that, and I think often students need that confidence of like your voice matters. You have this powerful tool, and uh, and your experience matters, and and you could make a difference or you could try to make a difference. And I think that's to your point, like one of the most powerful things about design is that we have that agency and sometimes we don't need to wait for permission. And that's, I mean, with the club, like that's been a big part of, of what we do is like, we we don't wait for permission. We sort of just do what we think needs to be done and, and sort of leave it at that. And and we haven't gotten into trouble so far. Oh yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It's it's make a huge change. You know, like like a gorilla girls in, in in terms of um kind of art museum. When you're thinking about oh they they didn't need any client or prompt. They just started what they felt about the, the art world and they started to kind of do something and they created a new aesthetic for their work. So mm-hmm. I think that's a very powerful kind of gesture. And I really appreciate what you are doing. I see um, in social media and some talk, I didn't have the opportunity to get involved and I'm, and I'm more than happy to do whatever um, um, help that you may need uh, from my side or the, the classes that I'm running. Um, but I really appreciate what you are doing. Um, and it's 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 great to have this kind of communities that thinking about design without um, any kind of um, financial, I would say, um, um, expectation uh, for the community. It's it's amazing job that you are doing. Thank you so yeah. much for that. Yeah, thank you. And like I always say to people, like our doors are always open. So definitely uh, we're, we'll be reaching out to you more often. Thank you. Yeah, I'm happy. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So before we drop, is there any any upcoming projects or anything you want to promote or mention? Um, anything we should be out on the lookout for from you? 
Um, the, the only recent project that I'm working on is the, the project that I mentioned is the project is called um, Language is Not Innocent. Mm-hmm. And I'm working about how the, the semiotic of the language has a multifaceted kind of meaning around it. Um, and we are using that kind of languages every day and how it could be um, hurtful or sometimes um, kind of disrespectful to to some people and some communities. I'm working on that project and I'm thinking I'm creating kind of kind of some posters um, around that. And yeah. that's a project that I'm doing right now for myself as a kind of um, personal project. But at the same time, I'm working on a book that is kind of uh, constituted from the um, huge amount of photograph that I collected from uh, 90, uh, 1979 revolution that the people wrote in a wall and how that depicted the feeling of the people against the kind of um, the politics and the kind of the, the the political situation of that day. But the, the the graphic design project that I'm doing right now is the that the project language is not innocent that I'm working okay. on. And when you're not designing, what are what are you doing? What, what's what's something about you that we wouldn't learn from your website? <laughs> <laughs> so I think I think that the the, the part that um, you know it's uh, when I was designing that website, I was thinking about how your website can be a, a complete presentation as an artist talk. Yeah. Instead of somebody talking about the project, you have a website. So you open the website. There's a film that mm-hmm. is kind of screening at the back. It's a film from um eighties. That has a strange story that is all about my home country and home city and how it's kind of destroying itself. But when you go through the different part, all the way to about page, it's explaining me. My, and, and the about page is, is the story again that I'm yeah, talking yeah. about, my feeling and how I've been through many things throughout my life. Um, one of the things that I really like, I, I think I always tell my student that if you wanted to get a kind of became an amazing designer, um, read philosophy. If you're not interested in philosophy, study art. And that's the kind of second thing that you can do because if you look at the history, the philosophy is always far, far ahead of every kind of aspect of art and design. And then we have art and then design is following that kind of uh, path. So most of the time I'm, I'm reading philosophy. Sometimes I'm watching film and movies. I'm really interested in um, specific type of art house cinema. But um, and and one of the f- most important component of my life of just looking at their designer solutions. That's mm-hmm. a, one of the fun things that I'm doing every day that, oh, how is um, this Michael Beirut is doing? How Paulo Scher is doing? What they are doing? What's the project that they get involved? And how they found the solution about that project? And what I would do if I was in that position? This is the kind of the fun part for me to think about about the project and my position as, as a designer. Um, so yeah, that's that's my fun part of life. <laughs> <laughs> great, awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. This was a great conversation. And like I mentioned, let's let's keep in touch because I, I I love what I love a lot of what you're doing and and I think there's a lot of, lots of opportunities to overlap on things. So thank you so much, Christian, for the opportunity. I'm looking forward to that to more communication and uh, collaboration. 
What a great conversation that was. And as always, thank you so much for sticking around until the end and for showing us your support. If you don't know yet, we now have an official online shop where you can buy shirts, sweaters, beanies, and a few other items to show your support for the podcast and for a lot of the programming that we do. So head on over to our website at www.chicagographicdesign.club. We have a link in the menu where you could go to our shop. Thank you so much, and we'll talk soon.